Meet Jim Thompson, the real-life international man of mystery. This architect turned ballet director, turned soldier, turned spy, turned art collector, turned silk magnet, made James Bond look like an uncultured barbarian. From hobnobbing with royalty, U.S. politicians, and Hollywood A-listers, he lived a life like no other, a life on his own terms. It's lonely at the top, as they say, and Jim was about as lonely as they come. Though he lived a fascinating life of intrigue, his fate remains shrouded in mystery. While out on an afternoon walk on Easter Sunday, 1967, Jim Thompson would vanish without a trace, never to be seen or heard from again, and the end to his extraordinary life story was left tragically unwritten. Was his remarkable life cut short by a cruel twist of fate? Or was it a deliberate vanishing act by a man who was left unsatisfied by his life? Long time no see, dear listeners, and welcome back to a podcast that's been called the Olive Garden of Podcasts, because when you're here, you're family. My name's Nate, and with me again is Ivan. Ivan, how have you been, man? Been all right. Nothing yeah. special. Just Nothing life, special? man. Just is there anything life. you wanted to say before I dig into what I want to say? Because it's usually a, a Nate monologue at the beginning of these. So I just want to make sure that you don't have anything that you want to get out of the way in the beginning. No, it's okay. Continue with your monologue. <laughs> All right. So first things first, I am back from what can only be described as my heroic vacation in Thailand. And I brought back a mystery that I actually investigated for myself on the scene while I was there. So I'm pretty fucking excited to get into this one. Uh, second thing is our producer, while, I was while we were gone, uh, our producer Davis, he put up our show on YouTube, which did cause, I guess you would call... A shitstorm of controversy, um, particularly, particularly around the uh, the episode we did around some really famous Bigfoot footage that was taken in Northern California in 1967. Uh, yeah, and there were a lot of people who got really fucking mad at that episode. So um, it, it did generate a lot of traffic to our channel, though. And uh, it turns out there's a lot of people out there who really liked our show, too. So. I personally don't like our show. I find it to be kind of, it's kind of off-putting and it rubs me the wrong way, you know, but I'm glad that there are people out there that like it. So anyway, go like and subscribe to us on YouTube now. Ivan, real quick, what can our loyal listeners do if they'd like to support us in our endless pursuit of the truth? Gotta say it again. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and leave a comment. Any comment. Even if it's your babushka's potato salad recipe it's called olivier man but it's okay whatever Be because that really helps boost us in the algorithm rate the show if you're on spotify or write us a review if you're on apple podcasts tell everyone you know about our awesome podcast 
or even just one person, it's okay too. Wow, man. Is there anything else that you'd like to uh, go over before we get into this one? No, let's get it started. All right, man. Thailand, known as the land of smiles, and previously, Siam. It shares a border with four other countries, Myanmar to the west, Laos to the north and east, Cambodia to the east, and Malaysia to the south. From time immemorial, it's been known for its delicious cuisine, beautiful scenery, and smiling faces. Thailand has something for everybody. Head to the northern part of the country up to Chiang Mai or Chiang Rai to see stunning temples of unparalleled beauty. Head to Bangkok for the hustle and bustle of the country's largest city. Or head down almost anywhere south of that or to any of the country's gorgeous islands for a relaxing, sunshiny getaway on any of the countless, pristine beaches in a tropical paradise. But be sure to avoid the toilet bowl of Pattaya, lest you want to get constantly harassed by so-called ladies of the evening who might leave you with an unpronounceable disease. Or, most shocking of all, whip out a meat sword that's bigger than your own. Ivan, we've both been to Thailand many times. Do you have any stories you'd like to share? Yeah, tell tell us first about your experience this time. How did it go? Because I I didn't oh, go with you. So I uh, I flew down to I flew to Chiang Mai first. I stayed there for a week. I I really liked it. That was the first time I went to Chiang Mai, um, and then from there I flew to Bangkok after a week, and I stayed there for a few days. And I, I went to the Jim Thompson house, and that was mm-hmm. the main reason I wanted to go to, to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. And then after a couple of days in Bangkok, uh, I took a train down to Hua Hin, Hua Hin mm-hmm. and then uh, stayed there for about a week. And then from there, I took a train to Suratani. And then uh, from there, I took a van to Krabi, uh, Nang Beach. Mm-hmm. Stayed there for a few days. I, I linked up with an old friend of mine down there that I haven't seen in a while. And then uh, we headed to Koh Lanta, which is just, that's probably my favorite place that I've been to in Thailand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Just an awesome island. What about so, you? So about north, about the north, have you seen the stunning temples of unparalleled beauty? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, it was actually, yeah, it's just amazing. I just can't remember any names off the top of my head, but mm-hmm, they're everywhere mm-hmm. in Chiang Mai. Yeah. You also went to the top of uh, Doyin Tanon, right? Yeah, yeah. Doyin Tanon, the highest point in Thailand. It's freaking cold up there, man. Yeah, the rest definitely. of the, the rest of the country is just hot as fuck. And yeah. then you go up there and you better bring a jacket. Yeah, the north, even if you don't go to the top of the mountain... Dear listeners, just for your general knowledge, North is definitely cooler than the... Um, I, I wouldn't call it cool, though. I would say that it's it's less oppressively hot than the rest of Thailand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if, if you like happen to wander around at night, sometimes you got to wear a jacket, man, I think. At night, it's... Yeah, it but, it, pretty, but in, Chiang, in, in Chiang Mai, when I was there, I never needed a jacket. I, never. Only, needed, I only needed a sweater when I was at in Doi Intanon. Have you, be, have you ever been outside at around 3 or 4 a.m.? <laughs> Dude, I'm old. I don't, I don't fucking stay up that late. I go to bed at like 9 o'clock, man. Yeah, let me tell you the story how I ended up in the northern Thailand outside on the oh, yeah. road mm-hmm. at 4 or 3 a.m. And it was freaking cold, man. When was this? Uh, a good question. What year? Just roughly. W- roughly, two thousand eighteen. I think. Okay. Roughly yeah. around two thousand eighteen. So it's been like six years. Uh, 
freaking long time. So let me tell you the freaking fucking cool story, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell, tell me. So basically some background. That time when we went to Thailand, me and my friends, we actually went there hitchhiking from here. It was a long freaking way. It took us like... Actually, not too long. It took us like three days to get to Chiang Rai, uh, which is uh, in the north, yeah, close to the place where you stayed this time, close yeah. to Chiang Mai. Yeah, it's like to the northeast of Chiang Mai. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty fast. Uh, but on the way back from the south, my friends told me like, man, you got to, you know, man up and try hitchhiking on your own, you know? Yeah. Do it like along. And yeah, so that's... Uh, that, that, that that's the start of the story so i hitchhiked out of i was trying to hitchhike out of the bangkok which mm-hmm. was fucking not so easy to do because traffic was really dense there was a huge traffic jam yeah. going out of the bangkok to the north and for me to get a car there was kind of first of all i feel a little bit i felt a little bit self-conscious you know like trying to stop the whole the whole snake of the cars you yeah. know just for me some yeah. goddamn hitchhiker <laughs> fucking hippie yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 trying to backpacker as yeah, i call them yeah the traffic is was bad even without yeah. me trying to stop it so i walked maybe for five or seven kilometers you know yeah. maybe like four miles or, or yeah shit. and then uh the the first car that stopped actually was a, was a taxi uh-huh. and i didn't want to get in i told him like man i'm a hitchhiker it, it's not like i didn't have money but it was like a point of hitchhiking was to travel for free you know kind yeah. of a part of a philosophy kind yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said like no money no problem comrade something like that you know <laughs> did he say comrade or? yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> and uh i was like shit okay and he told me he can take me like uh some way towards ayutaya or something like to the to the north i didn't need to go to i don't remember if i needed to go to that direction i just wanted to leave the freaking traffic jam yeah so i got in the car and he's he he tried to talk with me in english but i think um we couldn't find like the common ground yeah it happens sometimes we couldn't talk very well so he decided to use the translation the inst- the google translation google translate app and at the time it already had like instant translation function to it which was cool but sometimes not so accurate especially when you are in in the process of type typing in yeah. your sentence it would yeah. in- instantly translate that so i was sitting with him in the car and he started to type in Thai, translating it to Russian. And the sentences started to appear. And I was shocked and horrified <laughs> by, the, by what I saw first. So, according to the instant translation, it said something like that. Uh, do you have any means to pay? And it was the first sentence. And the second sentence read like, there are some other ways to pay. 
And I was like, oh shit, the first fucking car. And I and I found myself in this fucked up situation. Meanwhile, he was still like typing the sentence. So you thought that he was he was asking you for some kind of favor. Some kind of some kind of favor. favor. Yeah, maybe okay, like to, to, to wash his car. It's kind know. of like that old bumper sticker where it's like ass grass. What is it? Cash, grass, or ass, nobody rides for free. Maybe at least to wash his car or something, yeah. But anyway... the or wash something. <laughs> uh, so while I was shocked and horrified, he kept on typing in the sentences. And I was like, shit, what am I supposed to do now? Should I, like, open the door and freaking roll like one of those... Tuck and roll. Tuck and roll like <laughs> one of those characters in old Hollywood action movies and shit. And then he kept on typing and... and then he finished his sentence the the thing looked like fucking completely different it was like oh do you have any means to pay i'm worried that um you you won't be able to pay for your hotel or something and you you don't have any food and whatever so the thing he wanted to ask was like completely different he was just worried and concerned making sure that you had the means to like take care of yourself yes. not just transportation yes. wise but okay. yes 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 so even if he was asking about other means to pay he was implying that the means to pay like for the room and stuff like that you know yeah but yeah the instant translation yeah messed it up he was a little making bit sure that you're not just some like i don't know poor college student who's like on his own stranded in a foreign country kind of yeah thing, right? yeah yeah so yeah. he was a kind guy but the freaking google translate <laughs> <laughs> at first didn't do there a good are other job, ways you know? to pay so yeah it was the first car i got in and i was like god damn it man what the fuck like yeah so it was the that that was an interesting story and um, yeah in the same uh, in the same day actually the same night i got stranded on some near some small thai city with no traffic at night maybe it was like 10 10 p.m or something no one around just some wild dogs barking and i'm not a not wild, but you know, like stray dogs. stray dogs, maybe yeah. they're kind of wild sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I, did I tell you I got chased by a, a dog when I was in a Ayutthaya? Oh, you did? Yeah, but I was on a I was on a bike, so uh -huh. he didn't catch me. I just started pedaling really fast to get away from him, but he was like trying to bite my ankles as I was running by or Shit. as I was rolling by. Yeah, that's that's freaking Fucking scary. But yeah, yeah, it is scary. So I heard the stray dogs barking and the. Uh, there was almost no light on the road and I was alone. And then some guy on the scooter uh, rode past me and he stopped and he told me like, Hey, comrade, do you need a ride? He looked kind of rough. Like uh, he was either a worker of manual labor or some kind of gang member. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a fine line. I guess. <laughs> Most probably. And I, I think it's true that he was just a work manual like manual labor, labor yeah. guy, but at night with no lights, you know, sometimes you feel different. You know, you're. I'm usually suspicious, but at night you get even more suspicious. You're like always on the lookout for some wild dogs or yeah. wild people. You know, wild people. <laughs> I think those are scarier. Yeah, definitely. And so he he asked me like, "Do you need a ride?" And I looked around and I was like, "Shit." fuck it i might as well just you know go with him 
so we went we went we went with him on the scooter on a dark road with almost no lights and i was like it's okay i want just relax everything is everything is freaking fine man it'll, it'll be yeah. all right just you know some deep breathing and stuff and then suddenly the other guy appeared in the back try overtaking this guy and they started talking in thai and I had no freaking idea what they were discussing. They were like, you know, well, they were like, well, this guy just probably got a great kidney, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. And then I think another guy appeared from, yeah. And I, and they also started talking, and I was like, I went, maybe it's the last day of your life, you know, comrades. <laughs> that's that's how it ends, man. Just you just gotta, you know, it's okay. Yeah. And, and so we, we we kept driving on the road, and then. On the inter intersection, the two road diverge into the woods, you know, kind really, of. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, the, fuck, dude. the one the one went straight. The other went like to the village or some hood or whatnot. The hood. And and the guy just freaking turned left really fast, like he went left like crazy. I was like, oh my god, now they're gonna get my kidney, these guys, you know. <laughs> and then uh, I, I I pat him on the back like, hey, hey man, I'm alright. I gotta. I gotta, you know, get out here. And he's like, hey man, I just wanted to freaking pass the traffic light. He wanted to make like a turn on that road and pass the traffic light. Oh. Yeah. Um, and I told him, yeah, I know, it's okay, but leave me on that gas station, comrade. I'm fine. And and then I sat there for maybe like 20 minutes or half an hour um, thinking about my life, you know, like... <laughs> Nothing happened. They were just like kind guys trying to help, but at, at night, you're all paranoid. And shit. You, you are more paranoid, and then it's like a foreign country in the middle of nowhere. You know, yeah. some some thoughts they just came to your mind, and uh, yeah. So you got back, right? I'm, well, of course you got back, but how? Like everything was cool. Uh, yeah. Then I got into a car with uh, some truck driver and his girlfriend, and they dropped me at the. Um, Lampang, which is not far from Chiang Mai. Oh. And it was really, really cold there. Uh, before I finish the excursion into hitchhiking, just want to say that, uh, express my gratitude to all people involved in these stories and other people who picked us up in Thailand and anywhere else. It's uh, awesome. Thank you for being kind. Yeah, Thai people are fucking cool. Most of them are anyway. All right, can we move on? Mm -hmm. All right, man. Anyway, our story is going to center around mainly the capital city of this great, powerful nation, Bangkok. Now a thriving metropolis and gem located on the northern coast of the Gulf of Thailand and the beating heart of this wonderful country. And just a quick apology up front. We're not Thai speakers, so we're probably going to butcher some of the pronunciations of a lot of Thai words. So just a heads up. According to introducingbangkok.com, Bangkok was officially founded as the country's capital back in the year of our Lord, 1782, by King Rama I. Its history dates back further than this, though, as there's always a village on the Chao Phraya River since at least the 15th century. So that's the river that divides Bangkok in half, pretty much. Thailand was settled by the Thai people who hailed from southern China in the 10th century onwards, and small villages of farmers, hunters, and traders developed into city-states ruled by different empires, including the Khmer from Cambodia, the Srivijaya from Malaysia, and the Mon Divaravati from Myanmar. But eventually, these empires all began to decline, and the Thai identity began to develop. 
Three main kingdoms had emerged by the 13th century, the Lana in the north and the Sukhothai in the center and the Eutea in the south, which I've actually visited the capital Eutea last year. And the ruins are fucking amazing. It felt like I was walking on Naboo from Star Wars Episode One or something. So if you're ever in Bangkok, it's just a short train ride north. And I highly, highly recommend it. The Eutea kingdom eventually became the most important in the region and survived for over four centuries, in large part due to international trade, mainly with Westerners, that contributed to its longevity and even gave the country its former name of Siam. However, you know what they say about good times. Yeah, you do. Good times never last, and the kingdom of Eutea was finally defeated by invading Burmese armies in 1767. But Siam would not go gentle into that good night, and would rebound surprisingly quick, and by 1782, Rama I would found the new capital city in the place we now know as Bangkok, the beating heart of the modern Thai nation, a mixture of past and present, magnificent Buddhist temples and giant skyscrapers alike, and some of the most spectacular orangey-pink sunsets that you'll see anywhere in the world. So enough about Thailand for the time being. Let's start talking about the man that we're going to focus on tonight. An American man who has been credited with almost single-handedly saving the entire Thai silk industry from the jaws of irrelevancy, Jim Thompson. According to jimthompson.com, Jim Thompson was born as James Harrison Wilson Thompson in 1906 in Greenville, Delaware, to a well-off family. His father was a textile manufacturer and his mother was the daughter of a prominent Union Army general, General James Harrison Wilson. From 1931 to 1940, he worked as an architect in New York City, designing homes for a wealthy elite. Some of his works, such as Georgian-style mansions along the eastern seaboard, were designed by him and remain standing to this day. On top of being an architect, his interests also expanded into other artistic realms, such as costume designs and textiles, which would guide his path later in life. He was considered by all accounts to be the man. Women wanted him, and men wanted to be him. According to the legend, Jim Thompson even lost his virginity before his dad did. That's an uh, interesting legend. It's a true story. Uh, true story? True story. Okay. A handsome, successful man with piercing blue eyes, he became a pillar of his community by a young age. <sighs> In 1930. In 1938, he became a director of the Monte Carlo Ballet Company, which was the pre predecessor to the New York City Ballet. Despite the Great Depression being Despite the Great Depression being in full swing by by this time, Jim was rolling in dough and enjoying unprecedented success. But this seemed to not equate to satisfaction for Jim, and he eventually withdrew from his social life and began shunning those who were caught up in the lifestyle of being a wealthy New York socialite. He became a reckless and stopped talking to many people in his life, including his friends and family. Yeah, I have a digital copy of the Ideal Man book in front of me, and I'm just looking through the for some 
quotes. And I'm looking for some for some quotes here. Uh, his sister remembered him saying something like that. Quote. He said all the spending of the of money on just consuming champagne was evil. And he became rather self-righteous, as people often do who switch from being as people do who switch from being gadabouts to being very serious citizens. I don't know that word. I'd have got to pull that word up on the dictionary. It's <laughs> probably a word that's no longer in circulation. Uh, gadabouts to being very serious citizens. And also, Eleanor said that he, quote, he felt his life was a little hollow, that there wasn't quite the depth that he would like to find out of life, and that perhaps having a totally new experience, he would come to a deeper understanding about what life was about. Quote, we didn't really know what came over Jimmy, said his sister Eleanor Douglas, quote, but it seemed to be a great burden, end quote. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, he, he went from being kind of this rich guy, very successful, to kind of doing a 180. He just started to shun that kind of lifestyle and he started shunning the people who were wrapped up in that kind of lifestyle too. And he kind of went monk mode almost. And he decided to kind of turn his life around and start over again. So let me get into that part right now. So in 1940, um, this was the year before world war two, just for context, uh, Jim decided to throw it all away and enlist in the Delaware national guard and he completed basic training and entered the service as a private, an E1. So I do want to note here how unusual this would be for a guy of his prestige to just throw away his wildly successful career as an architect and director of the New York City Ballet. You know, this this well-educated, highly cultured man, he just joins the army as a private. It's an E1. It's, it's not even as an officer at the age of 34. So, you know, he basically beat the game of life and decided to just delete the save file and restart his life on, on hard mode. And this is the same rank that an 18 year old who's fresh out of boot camp would get. But this is a guy who's highly educated and had the world at his fingertips. And, you know, this is just me speculating here, but it's it's he probably just wasn't finding enough satisfaction in what he was doing, you know, despite how much money, notoriety and prestige that he was getting. But anyway, moving on. Can I interject a little bit? Uh, yeah, let me just finish this one okay. point real quick. Um, but his low rank wouldn't last long, as he quickly would get accepted into officer candidate school. And then upon graduation, he was commissioned as an officer, serving for a year in an artillery unit before being recruited by the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS, which was the predecessor to what we now know as the CIA. So what did you want to say? Yeah, when you said about him starting from the scratch right in the yeah. army, and uh, it was surprising. There is a quote in the same book, Ideal Man, I think it was his nephew. He said, quote, If Jim didn't make a break then, he never would. He just knew he didn't want to be who he was anymore. So he kind of wanted a fresh start. He wanted yeah. to, he really wanted to start over. Hey, I, I think that's really admirable. Yeah, that uh, w when you told me that we're gonna record the podcast on this guy, I decided to do a little bit of research. So I started reading that book, and at first I thought like, oh, it's just you know, just uh, some really cool guy. But then uh, 
then I reached that part that he decided to change his life when he was 34. Yeah. Then I got really interested because for me, like these stories are probably maybe the most exciting stories. Like when someone chooses a totally like different direction to their life because yeah. they f just feel depressed or out of place or like the, his sister said out of well, thir depth, yeah. you know, 30, 34. It, I think nowadays 34 is not old. But I think back in those days, 34 was probably like 50, <laughs> you know, yeah. people didn't live that long. People started their lives way earlier. Um, yeah. And for this guy to just make just such a 180 degree turn in his life at the age of 34, like that's, it, that's crazy to me. So, and it was probably also against like the societal like expectations and everything. Yeah. He had everything he, I mean, according to society, he had everything that he could ever want or need. But yeah. then he's like, nah, man, I'm going to do my own thing. Like Eminem yeah, you know, yeah, at yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's 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 move on. All right, continuing, continuing on here. Um, despite being a heavy smoker and not very big on fitness, he did enjoy the occasional swim as he was an avid tanning enthusiast. However, he ended up proving himself during OSS training, which pushed him to the limit. And he achieved the best physical condition of his life and became fit to fight. Although somewhat private and reserved, he did possess an undeniable magnetism that proved invaluable during his time in the espionage business. Shortly after World War II broke out, for the U.S. side anyway, Jim married a lady by the name of Patricia Thraves, who was a model who happened to share many of the same artistic interests that Jim did. Six months after they were married, he was sent to the North African theater and then to the European theater to assist the French in their fight against the Axis powers, as he happened to be fluent in French, because of course he was. He was Jim fucking Thompson. While serving, he operated behind enemy lines to assist the French resistance movement, both in France and in North Africa. By 1945, Thompson would be stationed in Ceylon, right? Ceylon, I think. Ceylon? Yeah. Now known as Sri Lanka, where the Allied forces were preparing to invade Thailand, which at this time was occupied by the Imperial Japanese Army. In August of that year, he was set to parachute into Thailand, link up with the Free Thai Resistance in the jungle, and work to overthrow the pro-Japanese puppet government in Bangkok. But while his plane was en route, the pilot received word that the Japanese had finally surrendered. And with it, the World War II had finally come to an end. And the world lived happily ever after. Fake news, man. In his short six-year military career, he rose from the rank of the private all the way up to lieutenant, lieutenant colonel and colonel. Yeah, the and was awarded a total of five bronze stars for his heroism. Upon his arrival in Bangkok, he became the OSS station chief and helped to establish a temporary American consulate, becoming the de facto US ambassador to Thailand. But within mere days, Jim fell head over heels in love with Thailand and lost all desire to return to the US. According to the article, Saga of the Seal King, originally published in uh, PAW, Connie Mangskow, 
who was an interpreter for the Allied forces, became a close friend of Jim's, and their friendship lasted all the way up until the day he disappeared. Schumann said, quote, Jimmy was enraptured by Bangkok. It was as if he had finally arrived somewhere he had belonged all along, end quote. In a letter back home to his sister, Eleanor, he wrote, quote, I'm afraid that I like backward places that need, need to be developed far better than the all high-powered superhighways models, great cities back home. There is so much to see and learn here. End quote. That same year, in a letter back home to his wife Patricia, he would write, quote, You are the closest to heaven that I'll ever be. And I don't want to go home right now. And I don't want the world to see me. Because I don't think that they'd understand. When everything made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. End quote. Yeah, real quick, it's important to note here that Jim Thompson didn't actually write the last one. Those were lyrics from a Goo Goo Dolls comrade. that were written for the 1998 movie City of Angels starring Nicolas Cage, which is available for streaming on services you such know, as it, Amazon Prime for about $3.99. You're a terrible person, man. I'll What's tell, your favorite I'll, Nicolas Cage movie? I'll tell man? you what. My favorite Nicolas Cage movie? <laughs> no face. You mean face off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The face of I, I, I liked, I liked all. Uh, actually, I liked. The, well, we're on the subject of Thailand, so I wanted to bring up a Nicolas Cage thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, right? I, I, I also liked his uh, prophet, or what was the name? Um, Where he was predicting the future. He has like psychic. Oh, I, I, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name. Pretty cool movie. Okay. But, but for me, I'm biased because I was actually named after a. Uh, Nicolas Cage movie. Did, uh -huh. I, did I tell you that? No. Yeah, so the baby in Raising Arizona's name was Nathan Jr. And that's why my parents named me Nathan. Baby Arizona. R Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great movie. Go, ch go check it out. I will. Okay. All right. Well, moving on, though. In 1946, he and a group of other entrepreneurs bought the Oriental Hotel, which was a former palace. Shortly thereafter, he returned to the U.S. in order to be formally discharged from the OSS, writing his letter of res resignation on January 2nd, 1947. He also attempted to convince his wife, Patricia, to move back to Thailand with him, but being separated for so long took its toll on their relationship, and she refused to go with him. Ultimately, the two would divorce, having had no children together, and Jim himself never fathering any children of his own in the, his entire lifetime. Allegedly. Jim, now free from that ball and chain around his ankle and having nothing to lose, was finally free to move to Thailand on his own and made it his new home. Putting his artistic talents and good taste to use, he believed that he could revive the once great Thai silk industry, which had suffered immensely in the 1940s due to both the Japanese occupation and the recent influx of cheaper fabrics from foreign countries. In 1947, he flew to New York with a suitcase full of samples of beautifully colored Thai silks, and using the network he had built up over the years, he had landed an interview with Edna Chase, who at the time was the editor of Vogue magazine, and she was highly influential in the American fashion industry. 
She featured the silks in her magazine, and Thompson became convinced that there was a market for the product in the West. And uh, again, some stuff from the saga of the Seal King. Uh, upon returning to Thailand, Jim set out to hire as many Seals weavers as he possibly could, ultimately founding the Thai Seal Company in 1948 and hired about 200 weavers within the first year of operation, primarily women, who were able to work from home weaving silk, meaning that they were allowed to not only become the breadwinners in their household, but they were also able to retain their traditional roles of wives and mothers. Furthermore, Jim also allowed his workers to take a share of the company profits. Yeah, basically, uh, from... Uh, yeah, I want to add something from, from that book. Um, I remember in the book they were talking about the way the silk business kind of worked in Thailand before uh-huh. the Jim Thompson. Yeah. Um, and basically the some business, some Thai businessmen, they would buy silk from the producers in the Northeast, I think, and they would buy it cheap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, and uh, so the the silk weavers they were pretty poor. Yeah. But then after Thompson came there, he was uh, kind of a idealist and stuff like that. So he wanted to be nice, uh, be nice, and make uh, and um, give these people more opportunities. You know, so they. That's really they, cool. That yeah. In the in the nineteen sixties in Thailand. Yeah. Or nineteen forties rather in Thailand that these women these poor women could work from home at that time that's that's insane to me that's awesome and if if i remember correctly like they bought like his workers they bought cars apartments and stuff and some of their kids even went to the college that's awesome uh like uh, to the west or something what an awesome guy yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool it's pretty cool uh, Jim would also invent new ways of making the silk, including replacing the traditional vegetable dyes with higher quality Swiss dyes that were resistant to fading. Everything Jim touched turned to gold, and his silk was no exception. He was even commissioned to provide fabrics for costumes in productions such as Ben Hur or The King and I. By 1960, Jim Thompson became known worldwide as the Thai silk king and became a millionaire many times over and by 1962 he was awarded the order of the white elephant for his part in reviving the silk industry and his service to thailand yeah so the order of the white elephant is a award for public service in thailand basically but just to rewind a few years here we can't talk about jim thompson without talking about his famous house that he began construction of in 1958 which still stands in bangkok and is now a museum that you can go to and enter on a guided tour for about 200 baht which is like seven bucks us i actually went there in person on january 24th and um to learn more about it i'm not really a very cultured man or a man with any kind of artistic taste my wife is because she's an interior designer but Even I was pretty impressed by it. So back in 1958, he bought some land on the south bank of the Sian Saep Canal. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which was directly opposite of the Weaver's Village. In total, the land was about one rye or about half an acre. Being a man of exceptional taste and a former architect himself, he searched high and low all over Thailand for old traditional Thai-style houses that he could move there and use to construct his own compound with. 
eventually found what he was looking for and had the houses meticulously deconstructed and shipped down the Chow Praia River and had them reconstructed on this new plot of land. So one thing interesting that I learned on the guided tour was that his main house was at one point, I believe at least like three or four separate structures because these old Thai style houses that they, that he used to make his house, these were just simple one room structures, right? But, you know, Jim being Jim, he just decided that he didn't want to have to go outside to go from his like bedroom to his living room or from his living room to his kitchen, that sort of thing. So what he did was he turned all of these separate structures into like one giant structure. Furthermore, it was unheard of for traditional Thai homes to be two stories. But again, this is Jim Thompson we're talking about here. He decided that gravity meant nothing to him. So the house is partially two stories. Some people might argue that it's not technically two stories, but there's a main entrance hall that has a staircase that leads up to the living quarters. And did we mention that these traditional Thai homes are elevated up off the ground on stilts to prevent flooding during the rainy season? Jim's was no exception either, with sections of it being up on stilts. Completed in 1959, the Jim Thompson house wasn't just one structure, but a collection of six traditional Thai-style teak houses nestled amidst a lush garden with koi ponds, while a miniature, ornately decorated house stood proudly within the grounds. This spirit house, as it's known, is more than just decoration. In Thai tradition, it serves as a necessary offering to appease spirits believed to reside on unoccupied land before construction. The little house acts as a new haven for these displaced spirits, ensuring their continued presence and blessings. Being a man of exceptional artistic and cultural taste, he adorned the inside of his house with all sorts of ancient artifacts, everything from rare fine china, centuries-old Buddha statues, and classic paintings. So I do want to talk a little bit more about the house here. So I'll post pictures of my trip to the Jim Thompson house on our Instagram page if anyone wants to see it, or you can just Google it. I do recommend to go. I recommend that you go if you're in Bangkok. Uh, I definitely thought it was worth the 200 baht. But what I can say about the house is that it's mostly Thai style, but and it's like loaded with a lot of eastern antiques and artifacts right but there's definitely a western twist to it all and jim did a great job of not making it making it tacky um i'd also like to say that there's there's some energy to the house like i'm not saying that it's haunted or, or something like that but being in the house it did feel a little different and i don't really know how to explain it but jim would host all kinds of famous and influential people there for, for like dinner parties and stuff like that. And uh, even people like Robert F. Kennedy were there at one point. So I can't overstate just how important of a guy Jim was, not just to Thailand, but internationally as well. So, you know, just a, a pillar of the Bangkok community. Did you, you wanted to say something? No. Um, take a look at this picture down below. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell me what you think that is. That little, uh, that cat, the ceramic cat on the, the vanity there. What would you guess that is? Maybe a thing to put sugar in or something? No. So that's actually a chamber pot. So there's no bathroom in the get that's in the guest room, by the way. So mm -hmm. there was no bathroom in, in the the guest room right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so whoever was in staying in the guest room they had to wake up in the middle of the night to take a piss they'd take off the the cat head whip out the bird 
and just pee inside of the the cat. It's like this ceramic cat statue thing. So that's yeah. pretty interesting. I thought it was interesting just how much we've regressed as a society over the last century. You know, going from pissing in these beautiful ceramic pieces of art to just pissing in empty Mountain Dew bottles. So sad story, man. Yeah. Why don't you continue on here? But, <clears throat> but, yeah, but let's move back to the man himself. As we just mentioned, he had a circle of friends and acquaintances that included the rich and famous, everyone from Hollywood celebrities to politicians the world over. Many of these folks made it a point to include Bangkok in their travel itinerary just to link up with him. Jim was also well known for his avian companion and giant a giant cockatoo named cockatoo cockatoo just say cockatoo man. or just uh, cocky for short the following was written by elizabeth lyons who was one of the jim's jim thompson's close friends and colleagues Quote, Kaki became a great social prize as a guest and was invited all over town. He and Jim looked like a couple out of Cactu film. As they came into the room, the man in the black dinner jacket, jacket and the white bird on his shoulder, blue eyes and little round black ones on the same level. Both heads turning to the welcoming hosts. By and large, Kaki's party manners were perfect. Although... It was well to see that he was close to an open window, since he did hate to leave good company, even for a moment. And you had to watch that he didn't steal nips or liquor after dinner. Of liquor after dinner. And I must admit that he had a low taste for practical jokes. Let there be someone in the room with a phobia about birds, and he would sense it. He would ruin the poor woman's evening simply by keeping his eye fixed on her and giving a menacing, maniacal chuckle every time she looked his way. Or, when everyone's attention was diverted, he would sneak along the back of chairs and then quietly wait by the victim's shoulder until she turned around and shrieked. <laughs> End quote. Connie Mangskow who we mentioned earlier, who was also his close friend from when he first arrived in Bangkok, all the way up until his disappearance, said that he, she believed he kept up his this lavish social life as a way, quote, a way of surrounding himself with people. I think he was a very lonely man, end quote. Henry Thompson Ford, who was his nephew and here, heir, one said, quote, Uncle Jim would stand on the fringes of a group of people having a roaring good time and just observe them dispassionately, end quote. So based on what those two had to say about him, do you have any thoughts or input on the guy as a man with a PhD yourself? Um, yeah, if... Uh my memory is not gonna betray me because I kind of uh, read that book really fast, skimmed through it, and also watched like one uh, lecture on YouTube. I'll I'll try to add something to our conversation on him, and uh, they went uh, around the same time. So basically, 
there are two other things that I think we should talk about. That the, uh, Jim Thompson was a good friend of uh, uh, one of the Thai Thailand uh, prime ministers yeah. who, who was really like a left left leaning one. He was uh -huh. like trying to make Thailand into like a real democracy but uh, as i understood he was he, he jim thompson and him they all they all tried to keep thailand uh, authentic you know yeah. as, as it is uh, but then um, after the coup by a different uh, guy who took who eventually took power and pretty the prime minister who jim thompson liked he, he never managed to regain his uh, power and thailand went in the different direction and thompson didn't really like that even though the ties between thailand and um, uh, us were start were getting stronger and stronger every time mm -hmm. but um as i understood the book that he wasn't the biggest fan of the americanization of thailand he right. thought that thailand was starting to lose his, its, its uh, authenticity its authenticity yeah. yeah and also his friend wasn't around anymore that uh pretty because he had to it's escape who? Who the prime minister Pridi? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 he had he had to escape the Thailand. Then oh, okay. the coup happened, and he and the, some some other friends of Pridi and his were like some stuff happened to them. So he was uh, pretty sad about. I think he was pretty sad about the direction Thailand was heading going, he, heading to. Yeah, yeah, that dynamics. Many people mm. didn't care, but. Um, he did uh, as i understood he he did he he liked the thailand uh, the way it was so and you think that he might have been like kind of depressed about what was happening a little maybe? bit i think it definitely probably definitely affected him and another thing right after maybe not right after but in the after some time when he got that uh, prize which we told about the white elephant white, white elephant yeah. award or something yeah uh he uh, as you already said, he he was known as the art collector. Yeah. And um, at that time, he bought I think five uh, ancient Buddha heads on the market or something. Yeah. And his motivation was uh, that he was trying to keep them and and then leave it in Thailand. He didn't want to take it out. He didn't want to make it make it so that they would like left Thailand to yeah. go to like some yeah. Western museum or something yeah, yeah. like that. So something like that. So his idea was even though he was buying it, he was kind of doing it for Thailand again for yeah. his uh, idealistic reasons. But then uh, somehow Thai Ministry of Art or some some ministry, some of those stolen or something some some ministry like that they they got really concerned about it. I I, I don't remember the exact reason, but they were like uh, they were trying to investigate the issue. How did he get the 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 famous yeah. Buddha heads? And I think they went to the to some peasants who recently found it. And uh, I don't remember the exact details, but I think they they didn't want to say that they just sold it. So in 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 the end, uh, the the that Ministry of Art, I think they kind of. A little bit kind of accused Thompson of kind of like taking stealing it, it or, something. Or, or something like that, like yeah. using some shady, shady methods. And I think he got really, really upset by that. And at the time, he, I think he, around the same time, again, if I remember correctly, he wanted to kind of go back to the US. Uh -huh. But then uh, he, he, he got there, he re realized that the, 
yeah according to some according to some commentators that he m- might have felt like a person with no home because he spent so 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 much time abroad in thailand mm-hmm. and he, then he got back you, you know how you know i how can it relate is. you know how i it can is, relate right? yeah me too me i too. can relate when yeah. you go back and you just talk to people they the lives they go in different directions and yeah. it's harder to dude i don't have a home to go back to if i leave here like, it's 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 hard yeah. to it's like you're starting again kind of right? yeah it's like i have one foot in and one foot out but i don't fully belong anywhere kind of that's kind of that's the feeling when you're a, when you live abroad for so long so yeah so so i guess he f- in in a way he felt something something probably he felt something yeah. similar my guess yeah that he was uh kind of uh upset about first direction thailand was going and also like uh maybe people don't trust in him kind of you know right and uh he was trying to and you you think this might have contributed to his somewhat gloomy personality at times like at this during this time i think definitely because to me he seems like a guy who was like really really sensitive right he was first of all idealist he was believing in the like ideas of freedom of the authentic thailand and stuff like that and then all of it went the different way. He probably got pretty upset about it. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, I just want to move on real quick. Yeah. So, real quick, this is super important. Um, but when I was on the guided tour at the Jim Thompson house, the tour guide showed us a Thai horoscope, horoscope uh, that was done for Jim. That was that was framed on the mounted, framed and mounted on the wall of one of the rooms. And on one part of it. It showed the luckiest time for him to be- begin construction of his house, which was, I think, like 1958 or something. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of it was a hor- horoscope that said that he has to be careful at age 61, which coincidentally is the age that he disappeared at. That's really interesting. Yeah. So make of that what you will. But moving on here, um, ultimately in late 1966, Jim was forced to relocate his business, which was going to be a major pain in the ass. And on top of that, he was not in the best of health and would be requiring surgery on his gallbladder soon. By the spring of 1967, Connie Monksgal would suggest a trip down to the Malaysian Cameron Highlands. Nestled amongst misty mountains, the Cameron Highlands offers a refreshing escape from Malaysia's heat. Rolling hills carpeted with emerald tea plantations and vibrant flower farms create a picture-perfect paradise for hiking and all sorts of other outdoor activities. Just days after his 61st birthday, which I just mentioned, the two embarked on their journey south to Malaysia to visit their old friends, Dr. and Mrs. Ling, a Singaporean couple who owned the now infamous Moonlight Cottage in the former Colonial Hill Station in the Cameron Highlands. Connie recalled that he wasn't in the best frame of mind during the trip down, but wasn't sure exactly what was bothering him, just that he wasn't his usual self. She stated, quote, I could tell that something was up, end quote. So why don't you talk about his disappearance? Despite the joyous holiday of Easter Sunday, March 26, 1967, a dark, shadowy cloud appeared to linger over Jim. Connie and the Lynx wanted to walk to the village church service together, but Jim insisted on walking there alone, arriving well ahead of others. Even after the service, while the group were 
picnicking in a nearby field together. His behavior was off-putting. According to some sources, Jim was uncharacteristically rude, even beginning to pack up the picnic basket before the others had finished eating. By 2 p.m., the group would head back to the Moonlight Cottage. Connie and the Lynx Connie and the Lynx decided to take an afternoon nap prior to dinner that evening and so left Jim alone to his own devices. But just as Lynx were starting to fall asleep, they heard the sound of metal deck chair being dragged across the veranda and assumed he was going to sit out in the sun for a while, but then they could hear footsteps crunching on the gravel pathway just minutes later, heading away from the cottage. Jim was reportedly later seen by a local girl from nearby Mission while on paved road down from the Moonlight Cottage, sitting on a rock which is now known as Jim Thompson's Rock, smoking a cigarette. His three friends did not immediately suspect anything, that anything was amiss, and fully expected him to be back at the cottage by 5 p.m. for afternoon tea, but to no avail. Dr. Ling drove to the nearby golf club to see if he was having a drink there, but none of the staff had seen him. It was then that Ling called the police and reported Jim missing, but with the nightfall soon approaching, a search would be of no use. When word got out that Jim Thompson was missing, the following morning it sparked a frantic search. His former OSS colleagues orchestrated a monumental search effort which involved US military helicopters, hundreds of local police officers and even children from nearby missionary school. Soon it would escalate into the largest and most intensive search effort in Malaysian history. The British also threw their hat in the ring and their troops and helicopters soon joined in the effort as well. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people painstakingly combed through the dense jungle and underbush looking for any sign of Jim. The surge swelled to include Thai police, Malaysian soldiers, indigenous Orang Asli trackers and even patients from a local hospital. Local mystics also joined, joined in on the spectacle, believing that Jim was kidnapped by evil spirits. They set off fireworks all throughout the jungle in order to ward them off, but... Despite the massive 11-day search effort, no sign of Jim was ever found. He seemingly vanished into thin air, like a shadow into the night. Yeah, so I wanted to just read a quick blurb from an article that was written by Lou Tolman, PhD, on mymcmedia.org, which is commentary on a photo taken of the search effort being done by local authorities, because it does sh shed some light on the situation on the ground at the time. So let's describe this photo, man. Can you scroll down? So it's the only known photograph of the search effort while it was happening. And Lou Tolman says, note the thick undergrowth that could easily hide a body and the very close spacing of the searchers. The single canopy, not triple canopy jungle, in the Cameron Highlands allows light to reach the ground, which encourages thick undergrowth and makes effective searching very difficult. Many hikers have disappeared in this area of Malaysia. So that's something to keep in mind as we move forward. This is not triple canopy jungle. This is not like a Vietnam movie, like a Vietnam War movie. 
This is this is just a lot of underbrush that they have to sift through. And if if God forbid this guy just dropped dead somewhere in in here, it'd be like finding a needle in a haystack. So let's go over some of the theories. The initial assumption was that Jim had decided to go hiking in the nearby jungle, gotten lost or injured, or even killed by a tiger. However, it's important to note that Jim was an experienced jungle warfare expert who was extremely familiar with this type of terrain and regularly hiked in the jungle even at his older age. He wasn't just a soft old man who didn't know what he was doing. To further argue against the idea that he had just wandered off into the jungle and simply gotten lost was the fact that he left his cigarettes and lighter behind at the cottage. Jim was a chain smoker and could barely go even an hour without smoking a cigarette. He had also left behind his painkillers, which he needed for his, his chronic gallstone attacks. However, none of these points prove that he didn't meet with a tragic accidental end in the jungle, as he'd actually gotten lost, as Ivan mentioned, in the same jungle just the day before while out on a hike, and was reportedly exhilarated by it. So, I also do want to point out some, some conflict here. Take a drink. Um... So there was that girl from the mission who claimed that he that she saw Jim sitting on a rock smoking a cigarette. So I would want to know if that was really Jim, where he got that cigarette from, if he left his cigarettes behind at the cottage. So I, I don't know what to make of that. Did he have two packs of cigarettes with two lighters? I mean, maybe, but that seems kind of weird. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about when it comes to that theory, man? About him just being lost in the jungle? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's um, plausible. It's uh, it's possible. If we, again, go back to the picture we just looked at, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's quite possible to get get, get lost into the, in, in, in this uh, bushes, you know? Yeah. And they might have never found him. Yeah. Well, why Possible. don't you? Right. So why don't you go over the next theory that's thrown out there? <clears throat> the he was killed by Malaysian communist theory. In 2017, a documentary by Barry Broman titled "Who Killed Jim Thompson" debuted and put forth the idea that Jim might may have met with a sinister end at the hands of communist rebels. According to Broman, who has decades of experience in Asia as a photographer, diplomat and US Marine, an old contact reached out to the filmmakers with a tale of deathbed confession and eventually corroborated story with a second source. According to the conclusion made by the documentary, Thompson was killed by the Communist Party of Malaya after they grew suspicious of his arrival in the jungle, asking for a meeting with party's secretary general, who at the time was Malaya's most wanted man. The implication is that Jim's vacation story was mer merely a ruse and that his real reason for being down in Cameroon Highlands was for one last secret mission with the OSS CIA. This theory may be plausible at the time. The Vietnam War was in full swing, with Thailand being a key strategic partner of the US, hosting US airfields, which were used by fighter and bomber aircraft on their mission over Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos, and was one of the hottest times of the entire Cold War. However, none of the claims made could possibly be fully 
substantiated, as it relies solely on heresy information from the family members of those involved in the alleged killing. It is also important to note that Jim formally resigned from the OSS back in 1947, having no official ties to either the OSS or the CIA in 1967, but many speculate that he may have still been working for them in a less than official capacity. Yeah, so for some further context, there were some known skirmishes that did happen between these supposed Malaysian communists and Thai police patrols, as I did find a newspaper from around this time which reported the in an incident where Thai police engaged in a firefight with these Malaysian communists. But um, I, I don't really know about this theory. It kind of doesn't really line up with what a political group would do, in my opinion. It seems to me that a group like this would rather kidnap him and then, you know, force him to renounce whatever the U.S. was doing publicly, you know. But none of that ever happened. Jim just vanished. So I'm not really sure about that one. Mm -hmm. But let's go over the next one. Um, the suicide theory. So one of the more common theories for Jim Thompson's disappearance is that he went off to commit suicide. He was notably depressed or off during his trip. Despite having an amazing life that 99.9% .9 of the world would envy, he was known to be aloof around others who were having a great time. Despite his fame and public persona, Jim was a very private and introspective person. On the trip he disappeared on, his friends noted that he was acting strangely and not at all happy. Connie believes that something was up with Jim on the trip, but whether or not that factors into his disappearance remains unknown. He was assassinated theory. In a slightly more generic version of the previous theory, some believe that Jim Thompson may have had a hit put on him out on him either by a business rival or someone whose wife Jim may have had relations with. However, it's important to note that there is particularly nothing concrete to support this theory, and this is mostly talk about on pure speculation alone. Jim was known for having many affairs in his life, but no individual in particular can be pointed to with any reasonable amount of suspicion. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, uh, in the in that YouTube lecture, they I think they also talked about the possibility that it might have been his wife. What his ex-wife or his ex-wife? Why why would she do that? I'm, I'm I'm not exactly sure, but they they ruled it out because she was I think she was sick at the time and on Hawaii somewhere mm. or something like that. Yeah, I don't know about that. That seems like a far-fetched one to me. Yeah, but with the. Yeah, I guess we... They divorced like 20 years ago. 20 years ago at this point. Yeah. This seems kind of weird to, to take 20 years to assassinate but, your ex-husband. But it's like, uh, you know, what they say in like famous series or whatever, like you gotta look at the family, I think like... All, 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 no, I, all I completely it. agree. Yeah. But... um, Definitely perfect. Ex-wife that he divorced... 20, 21 years mm. prior? Seems kind of weird to me. Yeah, it's just a theory I heard. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so let's go over the he was abducted theory. Some amateur sleuths believe that Jim was simply kidnapped by someone or some people for unknown reasons. However, there's nothing of substance to support this claim and there was no effort made to ransom him for money, nor was he ever used as some sort of political bargaining chip. Yeah, just kidnapped, bro. What do you think of that one? But again, 
uh, where is the no, no ransom notes, right? Yeah. Like, seemed, what was the reason for kidnapping? Yeah, there. Yeah, what would the motivation be for kidnapping this guy and disappearing him? I don't know. Strange. Why don't you keep going? Here and off to start a new life theory. Allegation had allegations have been made that Jim may have been a closeted homosexual. While this is not a big deal in modern times, it may have been something that Jim would have wanted to keep a lead on in his 20th century life. However, no con concrete proof exists of this, other than people going out on a limp and pondering how the hell a straight man with no wife, girlfriend or children could have such great taste in fine art and design. Some believe he may, may have disappeared himself to start anew somewhere, but once again, there is nothing that supports any of these assertions other than pure speculation. Yeah, I think it's... Do you think that he could have been a he could have been gay? No, I think it's pure speculation. I mean, going back to the I'm not saying he couldn't be, but I don't I don't I don't know if I buy that. It's go going going back to that book, I think uh, he had he had many like female lovers. Sometimes they were like wives of the diplomats and stuff. He was also pursuing He's banging people's wives. Kind of. He he was also pursuing one lady. She was married. I, I forgot exactly what her name was, but for for a long time, and that actually made him not so happy. I think because she she yeah she 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 couldn't stay with him because she was married. married. But they were kind of in the in the in the relationship. So I mm. I don't think while he was so passionate for like those ladies. No, you I know, think it seems like he might have had some kind of a mental health issue where he had this like you think that he he was like caught in this like pattern of limerence for unavailable women kind of yeah but they were not like 100% unavailable you know what i mean they were just not available to be with him like for a long well, time i i would call a married woman unavailable right yeah he, he's he, he's <laughs> doing this to married women that's what i'm talking about yeah like he he's he's in this pattern of trying to find he's trying to have what he can't have so to speak you know he's pursuing these dead end roads dead end roads of relationships kind of you know it and uh i would speculate again speculate that it wouldn't make him like exactly happy right right because it was always like a frustration trying yeah. to chase them trying maybe to convince them to you know i think it's kind of the subconscious thing that's going on with with him at the time um trying to pursue these unavailable women that i think deep down he knows they're unavailable but for whatever reason he wants what he can't have i think there's something to that yeah i, I think I, I read in the book that once again shit i forgot i forgot the name but you guys can uh, look it up and read the book yourself but he once took one of his uh uh like go girlfriends like that to the yeah. family dinner in I think in US and uh, they were like some of his family members they were pretty upset about that they were like she's you know she's married, she's married. What, what, what what are you doing <laughs> and yeah so so uh, no I don't think this theory I think this theory, theory yeah I, don't, I mean I'm not saying he couldn't he's definitely not gay but it just seems like I don't think it's yeah I don't I don't know about that I don't I don't think so. And but he ran off to start a new life the like sexual orientation it's not 
like the only reason people might do that, right? Yeah, Some, tons of reasons. Because he he actually did it before. He, well, I guess he, by moving to Thailand in the first yeah, place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was kind of a move like that, right? Yeah. He, of course, everyone, not everyone, but people knew that he, where he was going, but he kind of ran off to start a new life. Before. He started his life before, even right before World War II broke out. And it and, and it did change him. And uh, I think I think he was. There could be something to this one. Yeah, there could he, be something here. Yeah, he was like on the you know in Thailand he was on a mission to help to build a better Thailand. He had a purpose at the time, and uh, yeah, it was uh, his new life. And but he was in poor health, and he he had to get surgery soon. So that's a really shitty time to just decide to start a new life. That doesn't seem like a that does not sound like great timing to me. Yeah, but. So. M- Maybe it's like uh, you can make a kind of counterintuitive argument that people wouldn't think that he would do that, right? That now it's not a good time. Probably he just disappeared. He didn't go to start a new life. If he really wanted to disappear, right. maybe do some contrarian thing. Like, but. yeah, uh, I, I remember in the discussion. I think in in that lecture they also came up with that one of the ladies there, uh, she, who asked the question. She said like maybe. To do that, like you said, contrarian thing mm-hmm. is the is the exactly right thing if you want to disappear forever. So people, oh, that's a good think. point. It's a good point. Continue. Yeah, I'll continue. So, um, the he fell into quicksand theory, aka the Don Lemon H M H three seventy explanation. So, one theory that makes the rounds on the internet is that Jim Thompson may have fallen into quicksand, only to disappear forever into an extremely muddy grave. However. This theory is widely criticized as there is no known quicksand anywhere near the area. Most people who throw this theory out as a possibility lean heavily on Hollywood movies and pop culture, and when no other plausible explanation makes sense, they just throw everything at the wall, including this one, to see if it sticks. According to the world's most trusted source of information, Wikipedia, quicksand is a trope of adventure fiction, particularly in film, where it is typically and unrealistically depicted with a suction effect that causes anyone or anything that walks into it to sink until fully submerged and risk drowning. This has led to the common misconception that humans can be completely immersed and drown in quicksand, which is not physically possible. According to a 2010 article by Slate, this gimmick had its heyday in the 1960s when almost 3% of all films showed characters sinking in clay, mud, or sand. You think we can just debunk this one outright? Are you cool with that? You mean the quicksand? Yeah. This seems Are so there dumb. any quicksands around that area? I just said there wasn't. Yes. <laughs> Are you listening, man? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so I guess it's... Nah. Probably not. And it's, according to Wikipedia, it's impossible to drown in quicksands. So, yeah, not that. pop culture thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the theories tend to get more and more wild and dumb from here. Everything from him running off to become a Buddhist monk to being abducted by aliens. But one that might be worth mentioning is that he may have been hit by a car and then was driven away in order to cover up the accident. But again, it's all just speculation without any meat on the bone. I don't really want to go over any more of the possible theories that get talked about because most of them are just kind of ridiculous and there's just nothing to support them. So why don't you continue on here, man? 
before we conclude here, we want to briefly touch upon the work that one researcher did, a man by the name of Liu Tolmin, who holds a PhD. Much like yourself. I don't hold PhD, but yeah. You're almost there. Uh, and he put together a wonderfully detailed PDF of information about the case. And he concludes that despite the authorities' claims that they had searched the entire area, his calculations led him to the conclusion that if Jim really did die in the jungle, there is a 53% to 53 to 70% chance that his remains are still in the Cameroon Highlands. Based on the analysis of the reports, search areas and quantities of searches, he calculated that the probability of detection was only 63%, leaving a 37% chance of Jim's body going undetected. He also points out a lot of flaws in the search effort, including the low training and experience of the searches, the search effort never venturing more than 200 yards of a trail, the fact that a famous psychic named Peter Harkas distracted the effort with false leads, and authorities' conclusion that Jim left the Cameron Highlands was due to the fact that three dogs were unable to pick up Jim's scent trail. Dr. Tulmin concludes that the search was large but insufficient and uh, flawed. I think I actually, I think I actually saw the same guy's lecture on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is, comes from that because the data, the data is kind of similar. Yeah, probably, yeah. probably the same yeah. guy and free dogs and everything. Yeah, he said like maybe the um, the authorities got into like kind of a tunnel vision yeah. because of that free dogs. So. The dogs weren't able to find his scent. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so they're like, oh, he's just gone. Because back then, the dogs, dogs to the authorities were kind of infallible. You know. Yeah, I mean, they. He said, but, they, but it turns out that. S sniffing dogs are not magic bullets so yeah he, he said they didn't stop searching because of the dogs but he said maybe they that information had affected them yeah. to some extent they're biased you know? yeah they were maybe well, a little bit that's yeah. that was his uh specu speculation i think yeah. and also yeah he said like nowadays the maybe the the dogs are better yeah like they're better trained and stuff right? different breeds and better yeah weren't the probably. breed the breed of the three dogs that they brought in they weren't any particular breed they weren't bloodhounds or german shepherds they were just some random kind of dog i remember no i, I think they were kind of analog to the bloodhounds but well, i saw a picture of one and it was like it just didn't look like anything yeah, in yeah. He, he said during his presentation like they don't look like the search dogs but they they are oh but now uh, i think they have like uh i stand corrected now 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 they have like a, be a better a better mm -hmm. dogs that that's what i understood anyway okay well uh, continue on lastly we do want to add that in august of that year 1967 jim's 74 year old sister katrin wood was found brutally murdered in her home in pennsylvania she was apparently beaten over the head with a heavy object and her murder is still unsolved to this day coincidence probably so let's go over jim thompson's legacy here jim thompson would be legally declared dead in absentia by a thai court in 1974 to many in Thailand, Jim Thompson was a hero who devoted his life toward preserving the cultural heritage of a country that may not have been his own, but was adopted as his own. 
helping to put a positive light on Thailand and bringing much needed economic benefits to the country through his brilliant entrepreneurship. Though Jim Thompson's life may or may not have been, depending on what you believe, been cut short due to some sort of tragedy that happened in the Cameron Highlands of Malaysia in March 1967, his legacy lives on and will continue to live on in eternity. He left an indelible mark on Thailand, bridged the cultural divide between East and West, and snatched the entire Thai silk industry from the jaws of death. Through his incredible taste and appreciation for art, passionately collected and preserved cultural artifacts from all over Thailand and even beyond, which are now encapsulated forever in the iconic home he built for himself in Bangkok, which now stands as a museum you can visit for the sum of about $7 American. If he's still out there somewhere alive today, Jim Thompson is a Caucasian male, a heavy cigarette smoker with blue eyes, thinning hair, and would be about 118 years old. All right, man, what do you think happened to Jim, man? So many different series, man. I'll tell do you, you what. <laughs> do, you lean, do you lean towards one or two that you think might have happened to him? Or, or what we can do is we can kind of go back the other direction and just get rid of the ones that you think are probably not the case there so yeah there there, there was um uh another another theory that they didn't mention here and i don't think it's if it's what is it uh let let me let me see let me say is it one that you think is likely I think it was a theory that the CIA was behind his disappearance. Oh. Because, um, yeah, allegedly he was not, uh, as I understood, exactly pro-Vietnam War and stuff like that. And he was like a prominent mm -hmm. figure with uh, a lot of influence in uh, Southeast Asia. And mm -hmm. he was like... Not not really like a pro military and pro pro war kind of kind of guy. Mm. So there is a theory that maybe there were kind of they thought that he was like a like going rogue or something kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. That he he was like hard too hard to control. Or I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule that out. But what makes me a little bit skeptical of the claim is that. He, he officially resigned from, he was never even part of the CIA. He was part of the OSS and he resigned from that about 21 years prior to his disappearance, 20, 20, 20 or 21 years prior to his disappearance. So there's no official way that we can kind of link him to the CIA at this time in any mm -hmm, way. Mm -hmm. it, it's sort of like, it's kind of a, a leap that you have to make in order to it's, you have to make a leap to connect the two together yeah. 20 years in the future. I think I think they haven't disclosed all of his documents. I mean, the, the CIA. I think he, he very well could have been involved in some way. Yeah, so we, 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 we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. So it's uh, another, just another hypothesis, you know, to mm -hmm. theory to add. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll say that, yeah, that's that's up there with some something that might have happened. I mean, as for like the quicksand theory, that's that's stupid. I don't think that's what happened to him either. Um, what what about like, are, are there any theories on this list that you can you can kind of rule out that you don't think are the actual thing? Like the the communist communist theory and abduction theories, they're like pretty 
pretty pretty strange, right? Because again, like we said, no ransom notes, no no anything. Then, so what was the it was the point. Re- point of abduction? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, that guy, the 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 PhD guy, we talked about. I, I think he influenced me a lot. Then he was talking about his like yeah. research on that uh, area. And then he said that there is a high chance that they just could have missed missed him in the yeah I, that guy actually made a lot of sense to me too yeah a lot of sense um, especially when you look at the picture and it's like yeah the, you've got guys that are like maybe a few feet apart from each other just slogging through this thick underbrush so let's say Jim Jim was out hiking or you know, exploring some jungle area and he has some sort of medical emergency. He has a heart attack or something while he's doing this and he falls to the ground and the, the underbrush just covers him up. That's literally trying to find a needle in a haystack. And just because the dogs don't pick, don't pick up his scent. I don't think that's, I don't think that's like proof that he wasn't there. Um, ah, man, after 11 days in the jungle, I think a dead body would start smelling really bad, you know? And also, I mean, if, if he was in the, in the Cameron Highlands and he's, he just laid there forever, his body's probably not there. Probably nothing remains of him because jungles don't preserve bodies. Yeah. They have like animals. And- yeah. Well, animals also, the soil is very acidic. It's not it's not conducive to fossil preservation or anything like that. I mean, yeah. yeah he, if, if he's really there, he's, he's probably gone it, aside from like maybe scraps of clothes he might've been wearing. If, if he died under fortunate circumstances, there might be scraps of his clothes left, but nothing of him. Um, yeah. I, I kind of lean on, on him going out and some sort of medical emergency happens. He drops down. Maybe he has a heart attack or some sort of gallstone, gallstone issue, gallbladder stone issue. It's either that. I mean, also, you know, the suicide theory. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Yeah. So like, you know, when he, if he got lost, you know, it's, it's kind of like he left his medicine and his cigarettes behind at the, at the cabin. Mm-hmm. So it was, it suggests that he was just taking a quick stroll. He wasn't planning on being gone for very long. You know, maybe he got lost. He lost his direction, his sense of direction for a moment, which is really easy to do if you're in the jungle. Like, um, if you, if you listen to stories of us soldiers who are in, um, the jungles of Vietnam there, you, it's not uncommon for them to talk about stories of like, you know, one of their one of their sol- fellow soldiers going just right over there, other side of the jungle, just maybe twenty feet away, ten feet away to go take a piss, and then they get lost ten you know ten feet away, and then they just never find them again, just disappear into the jungle. Um, yeah, so Doctor Tolman he he concludes that there's a reasonably high probability that Jim's if he was really in the area, they could have easily missed him. So. Um, as for, you know, being killed by Malaysian communists as a former Soviet Red Army commander, such as yourself, what do you think of this theory, man? Do you think that it matches the MO? If it's um, 
yeah, the 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 motivation would be political, it, right? We, I would so think so. If if it, if if they were actually did it, were they Malaysian or from uh, other countries? If the motivation was political, they the first thing that comes to mind that they would he and he didn't seem like a they would use it somehow. They, they they wouldn't just you know just and he didn't seem gung ho about what was going on in Vietnam at the time. Um, he didn't seem like a he. He was kind of a black sheep in the intelligence community, and in that he was kind of this anti-imperialism kind of guy. Like, yeah, because he comes from the days of uh, of Roosevelt, FDR, mm-hmm. who was against like the European colonialism too. That's like kind of what the OSS was doing during his time. Mm-hmm. So I think that rubbed off on him a bit, where they were against like the European form of colonialism and then now america kind of swooped in to fill that vacuum and he had a problem with it so yeah i i, I don't see the like a clear problem with him and come and the unless they unless you know? they encountered him just randomly and there was like some distrust some form of distrust and they decided to kill him but i they, they do, i think they definitely would have used it somehow they wouldn't just like be quiet about it i think right? i think they would use him as some sort of a propaganda maybe they would kidnap him like ask him to tell some certain things yeah. right not just yeah so, so i think m- maybe that uh what was that doctor name who said that dr he, ling yeah no, no no who the guy who said he was lost in the jungle probably tolman tolman yeah i think his theory is like really con- convincing but like in in my heart i i do hope that he actually that he actually started a new life ran off to start a new life man that's what i hope he did he just like you know you know guys i did enough here it's time for a new mission you know i did i did (laughs) i did hear a i can't remember where i read this but uh someone claimed that they saw him living as a buddhist monk somewhere in northern thailand and uh but i don't i don't think that's likely because i don't think that he could speak thai could he because I know he had to work with interpreters. I know that. So not, if he could sure. speak Thai, he didn't speak it very well. Uh, I know that now there are some English-speaking monasteries. I'm not sure if there were at the time. Probably not. I would guess Hard probably not. I don't know. But even if not, you you can just probably stay there without talking. Yeah, I don't think I don't even think that he could hide as a Buddhist monk. Is this the only white guy? Come on. Uh, I don't buy that theory. I, I wish it were true, but I don't. I don't buy that. Um, the monk theory or the monk theory, yeah, yeah. But the whole run off to start a new life. I maybe I, I just like it, man, personally. Yeah. So pr- probably the yeah because it's kind of would be in uh, yeah like we already said that that's what he did before kind of but even more extreme you know mm-hmm. maybe he was feeling under a little bit under he was feeling a little bit depressed and he maybe thought like um now it's uh time for a new adventure my friends i'll just wander off and uh, think i'll go my own way i'll go my own way think i'll do my own thing yeah uh, yeah i just i just love the sound of this story you know yeah pretty cool would be pretty cool <laughs> all um, right man well um is there anything else you want to kind of go over here um 
I, I do. If I had a gun to your head, you think that he he succumbed to some sort of he succumbed to the elements. Get, maybe he got either got lost or he had a medical emergency while out on this walk, and they just didn't find him. Is gun to your head? Do you think that's what happened? Gun to my head. I think that's what happened as well. Although suicide to me is that would be my number two choice. And the reason I say that is that uh, like he went on a walk without his medicine. And more importantly, is he left his cigarettes and his lighter behind. And this is a guy who reportedly couldn't go more than an hour without smoking a cigarette. So he didn't leave a note for his friends where he was going or telling them where he went. And, you know, the whole time while he's on this trip, he's acting as if something is bothering him. Um, He's uncharacteristically distant, you know. Um, And then also that horoscope that I mentioned earlier that the the Thai, um, I think it was a Buddhist monk that that did this horoscope for him, um, told him that he had to be careful at age 61. I mean, maybe it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know. Um, maybe he really believed it and he's like, man, I'm going to kill myself before it kills me. Actually, that's stupid. T- I take that back. I don't think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, man. I, I don't think he's just kind of guy he would kill himself. Who, who would do that? But yeah, if it's like a gun to my head or something, probably yeah. I, I'd agree with the lost in the jungle. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's enough theory. evidence of him that he was like thinking about killing himself. I think that he could have just been feeling depressed or anxious about his health. And, you know, like the fact that he had to have gallbladder surgery soon, I'd probably be preoccupied with those kind of worries too. And I'd also be short with people around me. So I I can kind of see this one from both sides. Plus also, I think he had some troubles on the way to Malaysia. He forgot some. Oh, what, 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 what was that? Uh, It's like, uh, he forgot to file some, Either taxes or uh, I don't remember exactly, but he forgot to do some like paperwork or something, mm-hmm. and they didn't want. I think they didn't want to let him into Malaysia or something like that, and then mm. uh, they had to like spend some time talking with them. I I don't remember, but what I remember he had some he had some like what I remember that he, issues maybe what I remember is that his entrance to Malaysia wasn't as smooth as it's supposed to be. Uh, that's that's what I remember. He could have just been upset about that, I guess. It, it could happen. Like all health conditions, the the trip just the totality of it all. You know? Yeah, if you put it all together and uh, you like just one might as well get a little bit pissed, you know. Yeah. Okay. That actually sheds a little bit of light on, on what might've been going on with him. But, um, yeah, man, do you have any, uh, apologies, shout outs or clarifications before we go? Yeah, man, I think, uh, I definitely have something to say. First of all, what a ride it was to explore the life of Jim Thompson together tonight yeah. reading about him uh maybe watching some lectures he's a fascinating guy i think there's a little bit of jim thompson in all of us you know i think we can all kind of relate to him maybe not 100 percent, but there's sections of his life that we can all kind of relate to yeah people uh pe- pe- people like him the idealists the people who really believe in their 
truth and they just uh, you know go for it they they're not scared to to talk, Li talk live about. life on their own terms yeah kind of. they're not scared to live life on their own terms and uh, yeah uh, I don't know uh, I didn't I didn't prepare the speech so it's kind of uh, <laughs> kind of weird that's fine I I, yeah. I understand what you're getting at here uh, I'm just trying to to say that uh, I'm grateful to the old people like uh, Jim Thompson, you know, the the guys who believed in themselves and their views, and uh, even though they stuck to their guns, you know. Yeah, even though sometimes society they would like go against them, and uh, even when it's, all it takes it takes a, a certain kind of person too to throw away their the life of comfort and luxury that they lived for joining a war, you know, and sticking with it. Like that to me alone is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, definitely not, uh, not everyone is like that. And, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to read something because uh, I think he, and not only he, but the many idealist uh, people are, they're also really open and sensitive sometimes, right? Yeah. So uh, I want to read the, the lyrics from uh, one of my favorite songs. I'm not going to... Is gonna, it the Goo Goo Doll song? No, I'm not, I'm not going to sing it because uh, I cannot sing. Uh, so it's uh, Sleeping Away by Moby. I, I sent it to you once, but I don't know if you listened to it. So here it comes. Um, open to everything, happy and sad. Seeing the good, then it's all going bad. Seeing the sun, when I can't really see. Hoping the sun will at least look at me. Focus on everything better today. Yeah, I'm not gonna... Uh, all, all that I need and I never could say. Hold on to people that sleep in a way. Uh, hold on to this while it... Uh, sleep in a way. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna use that as my shout out as well, too. So, um, is there anything else you'd like to say before we get out of here, man? No, nah, I'm good. All right, well, let's get out of here then. Like sands through the hourglass, so too are the minutes of our podcast. But don't fret, dear listener. We'll be back again to breathe new life into an old mystery next time. Помните, ребята, истина прячется в тени. Вместе мы найдем ее. This is Super Mystery Bros.
Yeah, I'll share another story. We might delete one of those if it's too many stories. <laughs> no, it's fine, man. Uh, yeah, that was like a 10-minute excursion. Yeah, the and another story that was with that truck driver, because my friends told me, like, always, you know, when you were hitchhiking, you got to, like, interact with the driver, so you're not just, like, Getting a free ride, yeah, no, no freeloading kind of, right? Yeah, yeah, you you also kind of you gotta entertain him almost, almost be like an entertainer. Well, yeah, it's someone to talk to, at yeah, least, exactly. You know? some, give him some company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought like, yeah, I remember that idea, and I thought like maybe I should talk to that guy, you know, yeah, to that Thai, old Thai truck driver, and I just started talking to him like, hey, like Lampang, whatever, like Chiang Mai, and he was like, he went like. From what I what I heard, he said like Lithuania or Latvia or something, and he went like oh, no 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 no, as 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 if he thought I was going somewhere else, like to some other country or whatnot. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, that was a bad idea to start talking with that guy. And I just told, I I just kept on saying Lampang 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 until he was like. He stopped talking. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Well, that was a fucking cool story. Uh, uh, thank, thanks for that. 